Welcome back to Hoops HD, everybody. It is Monday, March 27th. This is our Hoops Woo-hoo! HD report. Final we, we Four all, special. We have all the fun off the air. <laughs> yeah, I don't <laughs> even know what we're doing off the air. <laughs> I'm Ch- your host, Chad Sherwood. Who we got here? We got Griggs. We got Zach. We got Stalika. We got Rocco Miller from Bracketeer.org. Um, did I get everybody? I think we did. Um, and what the hell are we doing tonight, Griggs? I don't even know anymore. Well, it, it's our Sweet 16 Elite Eight recap Final Four preview. But um, as okay. far as the NCAA tournament, uh, it, it, you shouldn't doubt us because what are we in, six millionth place right now? Yeah, yeah I, I, like I mentioned, when we did our show the day after Selection Sunday, we filled out a bracket, kind of a, a group thing project here. I entered that into the ESPN bracket challenge. Uh you know, personally, I came in around four millionth place, so I'm doing two million spots better than our group did. So, and we had Florida Atlantic winning two games thanks to Rocco, even. So, yeah. <laughs> but uh, let's get to the recap and everything here. And and uh, and, Greg, so why don't I start with you over here in the South Region? The games that were played in Louisville and and San Diego State. You know, they had that amazing year in 2020 when they were on line. What they had two losses all season before the, everything got shut down. Right. Maybe a little redemption for them this year, uh, you know, running, making the run all the way to the Final Four here. Uh, yeah, and I, and I am legitimately surprised that that they did this well. Um, I I did think that they'd win a game, and but I I, I had them out personally in the round of thirty-two. I I kind of had Georgia going there, but their route to the Sweet Sixteen, not to undermine it, but they beat nobody that was inside the bubble to get there, so. Going up against Alabama, my thinking was good luck, and they won the game. It was one of the more I I, I want to say it was more the one of the more surprising results of the year, uh, but I don't even know if it was one of the more surprising results of the tournament, uh, as we'll get to later. Uh, they just they played a fantastic game. Congratulations to them. I think it's obvious that Tim Miles is elevating the level of the Missouri. Or of the uh, Rocco, um, you know, great game in that in that regional final against Creighton. After after Creighton, uh, you know, got got a battle from Princeton. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, what can you say about San Diego State's defense? I mean, they've um, they've had a top ten defense all year. They're a top ten to fifteen defensive program perennially under uh, Brian Dutcher, and um, you know these guys have really locked in possession by possession from one TV timeout to the next playing segment-to-segment basketball, which is key in the NCAA tournament. Um, And they really grinded out both the Alabama win and this Creighton win. Uh, Obviously, I think, you know, Creighton fans are a little bitter about um, a a call that I think we'd all agree is a foul, but it was just a tough call because it was in the final second. Something oh, you, you, you know, Rocco, when you yep. beat your guy and he reaps yeah. his head with his hand and grabs and tugs you from behind, making your shot yeah. miss, I'm sorry, you got to call that foul. foul. You can't say, right. well, you didn't call a foul earlier in the game. I agree. That was a foul. Oh, okay, th- th- this is how I am with the game. I don't have an issue with the call, of, uh, with them calling that in and of itself, but I thought it was a poorly officiated game in the sense that it was so physical and so few fouls were called. It was basically before the directive of seven or eight years ago. I know Zach and I used to howl about this, about how there was no freedom of movement. And I'm sorry, if if it's a football game and those referees are going to call holding because of how physical it is, then you need to call a foul on a basketball game and they just didn't call it. So it was almost like after watching one of the more physical games I've seen all season, literally, 
Uh, and, and then they call that at the end. It was like, what the hell was that? But to your point, it was a foul. It was, yeah. And, <laughs> and I thought it was the right call. I mean, uh, obviously, um, uh, you know, I was a little bit more pulling for the West Coast team to get in. But it's more like, to me, the San Diego State, I'm glad you guys mentioned 2020. They've been building this thing for nearly two decades. Um, and, they, you know, the Kawhi Leonard teams were really, really strong. They lost, they lost heartbreakers in the Sweet 16 a few times. Um, so to see them break through, not only to finally get to the Elite Eight, but now get to the Final Four, um, you know, I just feel like it, it's a, almost a program award. If it didn't happen this year, hopefully it would have happened in, a, in another year soon. Um, but they've they've been parentally good, and they've been winning this league consistently. Um, so to see them break through and to beat two really amazing offenses, Alabama and Creighton, and hold Creighton to 56, I mean, that just speaks volumes about how defense can win championships still. And Zach, um, anyone that's been following the show, I know you've been on it much this season, but uh, and unfortunately, Joby is not here tonight. Uh, he has been ragging on the Mountain West all season. Uh, they, Other than San Diego State, they went 0-3 in this tournament, but is this just <laughs> this team, or is the Mountain West maybe not as bad as we've been saying? <laughs> I think the truth is is somewhere in the middle. Uh, I think it's, it's a good league. I don't think it's a get-for-bids good league, but Three of- uh, and leave Rutgers out. Yes, no, I agree with you completely. Right, I want, I want not, not that you're bitter. Um, yeah, it, it, but this team, this was the team that all year long when we were having the debates on emails or whatever about the Mountain West, this was the team that I kind of put to the side of all that because I always thought that, like, the discussion about the Mountain West, I agree with, like, it's legitimate, but I put San Diego State like a tier above. It's like almost how you evaluate the West Coast Conference up until St. Mary's really got – consistently great like with Gonzaga like I I think this San Diego State team is a legitimate top 20 team and you know just because the rest of that league is a circular really firing out on a limb with that one Zach they're in the final four I know right um these are four top 20 teams I would make the case yeah. I would have made the case about a month ago um but th- this this is a, a team that like just because the rest of the league is a circular firing squad that really didn't apply to San Diego State they've been like uh, Rocco said, they've been building this for so long. And, you know, as a UConn guy, we were, I watched their, their best team. That's that great Kawhi team in 2011, that they had the game in Anaheim. And it was the, it's like the forgotten in the Kemba run game that like, that was a, like the hardest test. It felt like at the time UConn was, had run into. And I I was, that was the, the first, that was the last game where I doubted UConn's ability that year because I just thought that Kawhi and San Diego State and Anaheim was going to be too much for them, and it wasn't. And it was really Steve Fisher's best team, I thought, and they've been building this for so long. And it, it really, I think, has largely helped um, San Diego State in a way. What's happened the last couple of years, as heartbreaking as it's been, it's removed all the pressure beyond, you know, when it's once you get the win in the first game, it's already a success. And now that pressure is gone, and these guys—they're defensively—they're so locked in. They are uh, more—they're a more athletic team than Creighton. The 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 foul in question came down to Ryan Nembhard gets beat to a spot, and they've that Creighton team is a great shooting team, but it's not really that athletic. Ryan Kalkbrenner's and I have like the same vertical, and he's seven one, <laughs> and he just threw in an absolute stinker at the rim, and that was kind of what happened this year when Ryan Nembhard had to go against really physical bigs. Most of the time, he could not finish around the rim. And he's, and John knows in the Big East, you get Jack, you know, even Jack Nungy is a more athletic big than Brian is. And so at the end of the day, like they were just awful at the rim, Creighton. And it's a credit to the San Diego State defense 
uh, which uh, it might be the best defense left in this entire tournament. I, I want to give them full respect. They are a very serious defensive outfit. Right. I, I want to make one more comment uh, to follow up on something I said about how physical the game was. Had they called the fouls and had there been more movement, essentially they were officiating the whole game as if the whole floor was the restricted area. I think it would have benefited San Diego State uh, more than Creighton. I think the physicality kind of benefited Creighton. Uh, but, yeah, I just wanted to make that point. But in the end, it was sort of – I know Creighton is really feeling like they got their miles bloody. And, 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 and how about this Creighton season on a whole here? This team was about the top 10 going into the season, picked to w- win the Big East, fell apart early in the season, came back, and then made this run. But but here they are. They did not get – they did not beat a team that a lot of people thought they would. Well, also keep in mind they did have a brief interruption in December when uh, – Brenner was out for what seemed like uh, six games and they kept losing close game after close game like BYU, Arizona State. But we're not talking about because of San Diego State winning. Baylor Shireman was pretty close to being the uh, goat for Creighton because he ended up uh, getting a, a steal and a layup that ended up tying the game for the Blue Jays. But because of the final sequence, that's going to be largely forgotten right here. It was actually Creighton the first time they advanced to the Elite Eight, but Ever. You have to keep in mind going back to the historical records back in 19, I think 41, when the, they were actually placed in the field. There were only, there were so few teams that they ended up being in the. They were the they were the elite they were they were in the elite eight when it was an eight team field. So that yeah, I mean they did still make the field that year. So you give them some credit for that. I, yeah, I can't really, yeah. And, I, uh, and to Stolico's point, I wanted to bring that up. Adam Seiko's pass, I mean, you could easily argue was even more of a bonehead pass than Kihei Clark's pass against Furman um, because he just threw the ball up with a two-point lead. With a two-point lead, he throws the ball up in a 50-50 ball under the opponent's basket. That I mean, that is a complete no-no. I cannot believe um, – they and they had a timeout. They had it. a t- yeah. Well, 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 which led to my criticism of Brian Dutcher at the very before the final play, where, where they t- <laughs> when they took the lead, where they had had they called a timeout because they couldn't get the ball bounded. Then they turned it over because they couldn't get ball bounded. And so you call it your last timeout with possession inbounds when you've not inbounded the ball. Uh, luckily, they were able to inbound the ball and get that final playoff. But uh, you know, I, a little overcoaching there, in my opinion. I think timeouts, if you're going to use them, use them. To save a possession. That's a great it, use for It is out. amazing. If you had True. said in September that Creighton's yeah. season would be in the Elite Eight, you would have thought with what they were believed in, great season, maybe a sad ending, but they would have <laughs> achieved a lot. They had a great season, but I don't think at any point was it remotely a satisfying experience for their <laughs> fan base. It just did not go to plan at any time. And in the end, they got where they really – where they should have been. So in a sense, it worked, but it was just between the the injuries and the battles with mono, and they didn't play. They didn't play great. Obviously, in the Big East, look, they, they they weren't the they didn't have the worst loss in the Big East semifinals, but it was not good. So they didn't win the Big East regular season. They didn't win Big, Big East tournament, and they certainly aren't going to finish ranked. I think in the top ten. It'd be funny if they do. If they end the year in the top ten, having had a bizarrely unsuccessful route to getting there. It's, it's really weird, and it's a, he, it's a real crossroads for the program now. He, he, you know what people remember, Zach, is Final Four appearances. You know what they don't remember was Final Top Ten rankings. So they, they don't. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I think that it was a frustrating year all year, but to finish in the Elite Eight, I think when the sting of this wears off, which may not be until July, 
you have to feel good about being further than you've ever been. I well, don't you? <laughs> but so, so close, so yeah. close to the to, to the biggest step. Yeah. But, but I do do want to try, try to move on here to the next region. Rocco, you were there in New York, uh, so let me start with you. As yeah. how about those owls? Um, not only making the Sweet 16, then the amazing win over Tennessee, and then uh, an equally amazing game over K State, who was just coming off that overtime win over Michigan State. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's probably going to take a, a a long time for it all to sink in for me. Just uh, being around, uh, I'm still here in New York right now, but uh, just being around the Garden for four straight days, whether it's you know the practices, the interviews, and then the games. But um, yeah, I mean the Owls. It was just cool to see them do exactly what they've been doing all year in these bigger, high-profile games in the world's greatest, you know, most famous arena. And, and uh, you know, ten- the Tennessee game, the big challenge there is obviously their their length and their defense. Number one in the nation against the three-point shot. Um, and, you know, Florida Atlantic could have been down a lot more than five at halftime. Uh, the first half was pretty sloppy, quite, quite frankly. They had seven or eight turnovers in the first 12 minutes. Um, but they, you know, they weathered the storm, they made their move in the second half and, you know, I've seen, I've seen so many of their games this year and it's not any different here in the NCAA tournament where they just hang tight, hang tight. They either have the lead or they're down by something manageable, five or less. And they're like a really great horse in a horse race. They make that move with 10 to five minutes to go almost every single game, especially all the tight ones. Um, and that's exactly what they did in the Tennessee game. I think it was a 15 to two run. Um, you know, and then they were really, really strategic about going after Jonas Adu, who gave them a lot of problems the first 30 minutes of the night, getting him into foul trouble. Um, you know, they, they obviously frustrated Euros, uh, Plavsic, seeing Plavsic and uh, Black Golden go after each other, a Serbian versus a Russian. Um, that was, that was <laughs> tremendous. They were talking trash back and forth down the, down the court. Um, so there was just a lot of cool things. Uh, in that game, obviously the first game, um, probably the most memorable game was Michigan State, Kansas State, our first overtime game of the tournament, and almost a near buzzer beater. Oh, only them. only overtime so far, and we've had only no buzzer beater. We've had yeah. no buzzer beater finishes yet. So, and Marquise Noel breaks the NCAA tournament record with 19 assists. Um, the play, he just took the Garden over. His interviews were unbelievably Harlem confident. Um, I mean, we could go on. I could talk about this regional for an hour. So. Uh, but th- I mean, that's just well, going to be. Well, something. Let, let, let me ask you about though the end of the game, the K State Florida Atlantic game there, sure. especially that last play. Marquise yeah. Noel, who had just hit a couple of very long three pointers, and yeah. he's there, and he gives the ball up. Gives the ball I, I, up. I, I, I still don't understand that. I, yeah, I, I don't. It's a little surprising too. I mean, they, he had some time to think about it because Forrest on the other end was making two free throws to go up by three, and uh, yeah, he. I mean, he's obviously. Uh, an amazing facilitator and he trusts his teammates and they got to where they got because of his ability to find players and get everybody involved, but also his own ability to score. Um, and, you know, just a couple of minutes before that, Chad, he launched kind of an ugly three that hit all backboard. Um, so maybe that messed with his psyche a little bit, uh, but uh, him and him and uh, Greenlee for Florida Atlantic were getting after each other in, in such a high level competitive way. You know, if you've ever played pickup basketball or you remember like being in wars on the street, uh, in street ball, they had that determination of a competitor, both of them back and forth. Greenlee was hitting big time threes, you know, down the stretch. And, and of course, Noel was just doing everything imaginable. Um, but I thought the key there in a, a lot of it for FAU was getting Keontae. Keontae Johnson barely played the entire game because he was constantly in foul trouble. Then he fouled out with three minutes to go. You know, besides a couple buckets, he really did nothing in that game. And that really 
limited Kansas State's, you know, um, weaponry, right? So, so uh, credit to the Owls. They, they really just find these little ways to get under your skin and switch up your personnel and make you uncomfortable. And it was just enough to, to get by once again for FAU. And how about the least likely guy to be, you know, in all this, you know, Marquise Noel, my city, yeah. and all the guys talking big. It was Vlad Goldin, <laughs> the Russian for yes. Florida Atlantic, who was the difference maker, the Texas Tech transfer. With Johnson out due to foul trouble, he just took over on the inside. That that was the thing I don't think anybody saw coming. That was really special to watch. And uh, credit to that kid. He's, you know, been in the background of all this, but he's I think he's basically why they're in the final four in terms uh, of he's that. A, yeah, he's a huge asset for a team from Conference USA to have a seven one center. And then his backup Rosado, six seven but wide body. Um, based on matchups, they can interchange those guys, but Golden's is a really strong re- rebounder. And, and Zach, I think that Tennessee matchup, because Tennessee is so big, I mean, they are easily the biggest team I've seen this season in person. Um, they're probably the biggest team in the country, honestly. Um, I think that got Golden ready for anything Kansas State was going to throw, and he knew he could pretty much do what he wanted, um, you know, especially with Keontae and foul trouble. Tomlin was decent, but Tomlin was not uh, a great defender. He, he had a good offensive game. Yeah, I, I have a little observation here, and I, I kind of want to make it and then get you all, but Rocco in particular, to comment on it. Out of all the Final Four runs, maybe not that year, because I know Florida Atlantic was incredible this year, but from two years out, this was probably the most improbable. Butler had been good before their Final Four run. They'd been in the rankings in previous years. Uh, VCU had won tournament games. This program did not exist at all. I'll throw throw one other at at you. you. I'm going to respond (laughs) to that right away because I think this is slightly less improbable, especially because people like Rocco, who to watch a Florida Atlantic, saw they had this potential. But two years ago, I, I think what George Mason did was more improbable than this one. Do you think so? But two years, and George Mason had been to some tournament. Florida Atlantic but, had never won on any level. Never George Mason came ever. to that, came to that yeah. what, 11 seed, a 12 seed. They shouldn't and, have been in the tournament. <laughs> and right. also to but, Chad's point. But I think that, that George Mason true. team was expected to be good that year. But they, at that time, well, and what this FAU team has is we have the proof of concept. It's not just hope, believing it can happen. Like George Mason, it hadn't happened until they did. True, yeah. They had to show it could be done. And for FAU, as amazing as this run is, they're what the fifth or sixth one to do it now. So it's what you Loyola Chicago. uh, Loyola Chicago. I I thought that one was pretty improbable because they had, well, they'd been good, but not. Florida Atlantic had never even been decent. Yeah, yeah, I think think from a program um, prestige standpoint, this is a a big wild card. So, so Griggs, you're making a great point from that perspective. But I, but I think, yeah, like to Chad's point and to Zach's point, um, this team maybe more like Loyola Chicago than some of those others because I know the VCU run, for example, there was a lot of hot three point shooting that had to happen for them to beat Kansas and some of the other upsets they had. Florida Atlantic's just doing the same thing they always do. They don't necessarily need a, you know, they only shot, they shot under 40% across the board against Kansas State and won the game. Still scored 79 points. You know, Dusty May, you want to talk about timeouts? Dusty May didn't even use a timeout in the second half because he trusts his players so much. That's insane. Um, <laughs> so so this team is so... And, and, and hello, um, coaches, they won the game and they're in the final four. Yeah. Remember that. <laughs> didn't call yeah. a single, 
Uh, have you ever heard of that? A coach didn't call a single timeout in an Elite Eight game and won in a three-point game. I, didn't um, they say John Wooden called four timeouts his whole career or something? There you like, go. You're maybe going he's back learning years, from him. He's probably taking that to heart. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I just think more, maybe the best comparison is Loyola Chicago because I think with Loyola Chicago, even though they were from the Valley and they had, you know, they weren't from a big school, they had Crutwig on the court, who's basically a second head coach. Crutwig's out there running plays at the center, and they're playing unbelievable top ten defense on top of that. That was a yeah. team that was built to go on a, on a run, like let's be honest. And Florida Atlantic, if you look at all their mixtures of parts, the way that um, you know, one of the other neat things about Dusty May and the whole program is they make decisions together. So the, the game-winning shot against Memphis in the first round was a game winner by redshirt freshman Nick Boyd. In the huddle before that shot, Nick Boyd told everybody, I want the ball. And it was kind of out of left field, but the other players wanted to do it. And Dusty said, let's get the ball to Nick. Sure <laughs> enough, he gets the ball, they hit the game winner. I mean, this this is a whole different way of like managing a program and coaching a team. Um, and they've all been together three to five years besides Gaffney. So, um, it, it's no, just, no, no, no seniors on the roster. So if they all stick around yeah. and Dusty Bay right. sticks around, you know, it, it, except yeah. Forrest. Yeah. He's the only yeah. one. So, yeah. um, that's, that's the, that's the thing that's so different about this team than anybody else I've seen all year. It's just, they are so connected on a different level. Yeah. And so this is just an absolute, it is an amazing story, but let, let, let me step over. To, to, we have, to we the, think about Cinderella's this time of year. We people think about Villanova 1985, 50% of the final four this year did not play basketball that year. That's what's incredible to me. Florida Atlantic, 1988, Miami, for 12 years, and now they're in the Final Four. Uh, Salika, let's jump over to the Midwest region, and you were there in Kansas City uh, uh, rooting on your Xavier team, who uh, may have not shown up in Kansas City, unfortunately. (laughs) Well, they showed up, but unfortunately it was a little bit late in the second half by the time they did. Now, if we're talking about things that didn't show up, I I was afraid Houston might have a few uh, offensive lapses, but it turned out to be a bunch of defensive lapses against the likes of Isaiah Wong and uh, Nigel Pack. They just they just could not miss in the second half of that game where Houston, it looked like they were only down about five or six. It seemed at their biggest point in the first half, but the second half, they what was a simple wound, it just started hemorrhaging and they didn't have any answers for the Canes and you look at what uh, Texas did the the following game. They, even though they lost one of their Dsu, I think tried to play a couple of minutes and could not go. They they were still able to rely on Marcus Carr and Tyrese Hunter and Jimmy Allen. They were just they were able to withstand some early Xavier shots that were missing. And once Texas finally started hitting that and a few other circus shots at the end of the half, it was clear that the uh, the great Oz had spoken. So I know it says it was a 12 point game, but it felt like a lot worse than that. And, and, and Zach, then we got to that Midwest regional final where uh, I was almost falling asleep during the first half and early second half. It was just looking like a Texas roll. Uh, and the game completely turned around in the middle of the second half. And, and, and I'm, I was just shocked at what, what Laranaga's team did. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's incredible what Jim's been able to do there. And, you know, it's it's it is a victory. It is a victory for NI, and I don't mean this as a criticism. I mean as a compliment. It's a victory for NIL, and it's a victory for the transfer portal. They have literally constructed a team in free agency, and they have given the pieces to one of the best coaches to ever do it. And they, their guards are big. They're athletic. They're a pain in the ass. 
Uh, sorry, but they are. Uh, they can hit shots, and they have no fear of Texas's size. That was the thing. Texas is such a deep, big, physical team, but Miami is a team that, on paper, actually could match up with that. Uh, and with about eight minutes to go, looked like, though, that wasn't going to be it. It looked like this amazing story under Rodney Terry that Texas was going to ride the wave to a uh, a semi-hometown, well, home state Final Four. And then Miami just brought it defensively and they were just, they were the tougher team down the stretch. They were more poised. They were more disciplined and they were going to their first final four. And it's, it's an absolutely incredible uh, accomplishment for that program. That has, is also a program kind of, this isn't the, the, all right, this, maybe this is the best Miami team, but they have similar to San Diego state. They've had teams kind of knock it on the door of the national elite in recent years. And, And even, you know, they they just couldn't get through there. Even when they first brought the program back, the job that Leonard Hamilton did there got them really high up in the Big East. And then, of course, did, Jim yeah. things fell off a while. But Jim Laranega has built it up. And last year, they make the Elite Eight. And despite being the ACC regular season champions, we're not a team that anybody thought was looking to maybe use last year to drive them forward. Uh, but they clearly did, and they're in their first final four, and they they earned it. They just they just kept punching Texas in the face, and eventually Texas relented. And the game did largely change. Speaking of referees, on the the fourth foul, who's it on? Change late, Chad. I don't know if you wanted to get dive into that. Well, how about the semifinal? How about the Sweet Sixteen game? Holy cow! Yeah, that's the. Well, how about their uh, first round game? Because keep in mind, this was the second time Miami had to uh, make a major comeback. They were yeah. staring down the barrel of a 5 12 upset until they made a 16 1 run in the closing minutes against Drake to at least escape that game. Yeah, and this is in their last three games uh, against Indiana, Houston, and Texas, where they have, you know, especially by win probability they've been the underdog at one point in the second half and they've just steamrolled through and gone on a run and so they this is how it goes and now that's the thing we'll get there saturday night you if you count up 10 with eight minutes to go i am in no way confident that this that it's over because miami has shown a an ability now repeatedly in this tournament that they are they are not they are never out even if they're down uh, let me let me ask this for first of all just just quick note roddy terry did finally become official head permanent head coach today of Texas. So congrats to him. Uh, they waited way too long for that. But but Rocco, how about the, the, this Miami program now? Uh, can we finally talk about them? And not just every time we mention the ACC, oh, it's North Carolina, Duke, and Virginia. It's North Carolina, Duke, and Virginia. Uh, hmm. Does this finally get them the respect that, that they've, I think they've earned for the last several years here? Yeah, I, I don't know about that, Chad. I think I think some of that is just media based. You know, I, I got to do a North Carolina uh, Wake Forest game this year where I was first time I was kind of up close to see just how insane it is out there. Um, so they're always going to have a powerhouse media uh, base for those two deep, deep blue bloods in Carolina Duke. Um, I, I, I try not to ever focus on that personally. So I'm, okay. I've, got, I've got a blind spot there. But I think as long as Miami's getting guys like Nigel Pack, Norchad o- Omir, Isaiah Wong, Jordan Miller, uh, Wuga Poplar, the list goes on. I mean, this is a, uh, at least those first four guys I listed, those, those are deeply athletic, extremely talented players. Omir might be the best pure rebounder in the country. We knew that when he was at Arkansas State. It was just a question of will it translate, and absolutely it has. 
Um, and my only fear for Miami at the end of the game yesterday was if Omir would have been called for a charge at that. It was tied with two minutes left. It was a 50-50 call when it gets Texas. But, um, you know, that that would, they might have lost the game if that was a charge. But I think, I think with this much talent, this much athleticism, you know, I, I was asked a few times, like back in January, February, out of all the five seeds and worse, which team can get there? Um, Miami is usually one of the first places I would start them in TCU. So I'm actually not too surprised. They they proved it uh, by winning the ACC regular season title. Uh, they obviously had to play in Duke's backyard in, in Greensboro in the ACC tournament. But uh, this team was built for a run, and, they, and Wong was there last year at least um, to kind of carry the flag to move it a step further with their Elite Eight run a year ago. Um, uh, and Zach, look at that. We're out of time. So that's, uh, we just talked yeah, about the last fair. region. That's fair. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go here. By far the <laughs> most impressive team in this tournament. And I don't think it's even been close has it, been your Yukon Huskies who have been completely dominant, crushed <laughs> Arkansas and crushed Gonzaga after Gonzaga played another thriller against UCLA. Um, I'm basically waiting for the the catch on all this. Like this is insane. Uh, I knew they were really good. I knew they could win games. I've been, I was adamant all year that like if <laughs> the joke was before the season started, I just want to win one game. I just for the sake of the coaching staff and the pressure and the noise. And then they won the one game, and then they they're basically skating backwards in traffic, and it's not hard. Um, yeah, they they're they're a complete wagon right now. The most. The most incredible thing about this is that currently it's the uh, the Muslim holy month of Ramadan. Uh, UConn has three players who, while the sun is up, cannot and do not consume food or fluids. And one of them is Adama Sonogo. So a, a, a an unhydrated Adama Sonogo is waging war against the entire NCAA tournament, and he's been incredible. Uh, yeah, dominant in the first weekend, dominant again this weekend. The Arkansas outcome was really stunning. That was the one team, like, I I wasn't rooting for Kansas, but, like, I actually thought Kansas was a much better matchup for UConn because of the size differential and because of the way Arkansas plays. And UConn doesn't have a true point guard, per se, and Arkansas pressure would be a problem for them. Uh, it definitely was not. I was, I was <laughs> extremely wrong. Uh, UConn <laughs> sliced them apart. And then I thought, well, I thought they could win on – you know, and the, and the other side, Gonzaga, I mean, I do want to give, not give short shrift to arguably the game of the tournament, which was the Gonzaga-UCLA, the latest in that incredible series that those two have played in this tournament. Uh, just a fabulous game. It, they looked, UCLA looked de dead and gone. Um, or sorry, Gonzaga looked dead and gone. They basically went 10 minutes without scoring a point. Then UCLA you know, comes back and just gets the lead and then the, the the long range shot to get Gonzaga over the top. That was an incredible game. And Chad, then it, it set up what I thought was going to be a major heavyweight showdown. I, I, I circled this game. I was telling everybody, this is the game of the, of the elite eight of, of the, of, of the elite eight round. This is the game. And, and it didn't show up. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I, I thought, you know, I was all, Oh, the Timmy Sonogo thing. Well, Tim uh, Sonogo and Klingon versus Timmy. And, I mean, I had some doubts on Timmy, but, you know, also I'm I'm clearly biased. Uh, you know, I know foul trouble was a thing, but all four of the fouls that Timmy committed, were, none of them were against Adama Sinogo or Donovan Klingon. The four fouls were drawn by UConn guards, which I'm still trying to figure out three days later how that could occur. How that – that's why I put it on Timmy. Like that 
that can't happen. The third foul, the charge, a minute into the second half when he had to sit the last two minutes of the first half, and it went from being a tight game to being UConn up seven. Then they get him to start the second half, and he barrels through Tristan Newton 15 feet from the basket. I I thought it was – I thought mentally Gonzaga basically lost the game at that point, and then – yeah. Then it was the best 20 minutes I've seen UConn play in a basketball game in a year beginning uh, since like 2004. <laughs> yeah, Are we yeah. sure Mick Cronin didn't put a hex on Gonzaga? If you saw his post-game presser after uh, UC- <laughs> or UCLA lost to Gonzaga, I can't think of any other explanation. He seemed upset. I'll be honest, John. <laughs> uh, he did seem upset, but... Yeah, just a stunning – and now it, it's kind of a crossroads moment, Chad, for the Gonzaga program right now. They go into the Big 12. They lose Drew Timmy after 19 years of – They maybe go to the Big East even. I've heard everything yeah. all across the – all over the place for what this going on with this team. And or they may just end up staying in the West Coast Conference at the end of the day. And uh, now they have to build without Drew Timmy. And that – it's been since like uh, – I, 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 won't, I won't doubt Mark Fuse's ability. Yeah, I, I don't either. Here. But but, but yeah. Rocco, uh, when we did our, our – picks uh two weeks ago uh you mentioned this and i picked up on it as well the reason why i actually when i when i looked at this first bracket i picked uconn to win it all and i hate to yeah. say that with zach on the, on the call here uh, but yeah. i did and, and i looked at it and if you looked over the last several years here offensive efficiency has been the metric for for who wins championships and it's uconn among the top five or six offensively efficient teams also had the best defense and that's why i picked them and yeah and and they've they've looked like you know I made a lot of bad picks in my bracket, um, in four millionth place, but I'm still happy. <laughs> I think I got this one right so far. Yeah, I mean, I think I think on that show we did, yeah. we we most of us actually agreed on UConn, which was a, a little bit of a surprise for a four seed in the toughest region. We all agreed that this was the toughest region on paper. Um, I think as Gonzaga navigated through uh, the bracket, they obviously got some some breaks, you know, TCU was taking it to them for 37 minutes. That game was neck and neck. TCU actually, I think, led more the, more of the 37 minutes than, than the Zags did. But, uh, you know, they went they went cold in the last segment, and the Gonzaga pulled away. Um, that game could have gone either way, if you remember. And then, obviously, UCLA down two guys. Uh, Adam Bona didn't play, and Jalen Clark's been out. So um, they've got their built-in excuses. But UCLA uh, – I, I, I think that was kind of a reason why, why, why you know, the fact that – UCLA really could have beaten Gonzaga without those two guys. There's maybe a sign already that there's was, problems with yeah. Gonzaga. Yeah, and I was asked, you know, the night before the game what I thought, and I, I had a feeling that UConn was going to roll them. Um, mm. It just – I mean, I didn't think it would play out exactly the way Zach did a great job thoroughly describing mm. the events that led to them getting rolled. But um, it just seemed like Gonzaga throughout the year, whether it was the loss at home to Loyola Marymount or just these different moments where they just didn't look like themselves. They, they were really close to losing to Santa Clara on the road and at San Francisco and, and a bunch of other examples where um, they, they've had some, some holes and flaws and UConn was way too sharp of a team uh, and ready and playing their best basketball. I, and I, I just had a feeling that UConn was going to be able to win it pretty comfortably. Um, my only, <clears throat> there's nothing but praises to sing about UConn right now. They're number one in Ken Palm. They've passed Houston. They're, they're, I mean, they're doing everything unbelievably. They haven't had a game closer than 15 points. Um, but if they end up in a close game in either of these final four games, um, they are 0 and 4 on the year in five point games yes. or less. So, uh, and I'll tell you what, whoever makes the all finals, <laughs> whoever makes the finals, whether it's FAU or SDSU, those are two teams that very rarely get blown out. So that's that's my only concern for UConn if they do get to Monday. Yeah, and the thing that was 
that I was most impressed with overall in that game was that in the first half, I counted, Gonzaga had like two easy shots, two like open laps. That was it. Everything was difficult. Yeah. They yeah. started one for eight, but it was like, it wasn't like they were missing makeable shots. That was when early I felt like, oh, we might have, UConn might be in a good spot here. And something that's happened actually in not the Arkansas game, but the other three games they've played, UConn didn't play necessarily great in the first half. They couldn't really get separation. Before the Arkansas game, UConn had not led a first half of an NCAA tournament game under Dan Hurley by more than four points. They had never had a lead in the first half more than four. They didn't have so, it against Iona either. So right, they, did, yeah. they never did it against Iona. They didn't, do it, they didn't do it against Iona. They didn't do it against St. Mary's. They didn't do it until the Arkansas right. game. But in the Gonzaga game was similar to the Iona and St. Mary's game in that UConn I thought was like playing okay, but wasn't up big. But it felt like the uh, the team they were playing in the first two games more so was hitting difficult shots. Those are two Iona and St. Mary's aren't really great three point teams. And in Gonzaga, it was they, you know, they were keeping it close for the first 16 or so minutes, but not, it wasn't like Gonzaga was had a clear mismatch. Everything was difficult. And what UConn has in terms of Sonogo and Klingon, like I, Timmy didn't play great, but he was going to have to face that for 40 minutes. Whereas UConn, and a big change for them is Adama Sonogo plays, he plays like 25 minutes a night, 25 to 30. Last year, he was playing 36, 37, and he got gassed. And now UConn's got a real weapon in that they basically can play a dominant center for 40 minutes. It, they're, they're different players, but they have a dominant player at that position available for at least 35 to 40 minutes. Well, I got up here the the final four, uh, the two match semifinals, Florida Atlantic, San Diego State, Miami, UConn. Uh, I want to go through each of you. Tell me what, what you what you see out of these three games here, both the two games Saturday and the championship game. And Griggs, why don't I start with you, Leo? What, what, what do you see happening here now that we're down to the final four? Um, as well as UConn has been playing, not just in the NCAA tournament, but really their, their season was a donut. They started off 14-0, and and I think they finished 13-1. and And it was really just that, you, you know, they took Christmas off, I think, and had that stretch where they went two of six. They have looked as good as anyone, as often as anyone, particularly the four teams left um, all year. I, I think they get by a, who is a good Miami team. And then I think they beat I, – I, I think it's going to be Florida Atlantic. I, I just love how they've been playing. I didn't know if it would translate into a higher level of competition. Conference USA, as it turns out, is probably better than what even – I realized and gave it credit for, and I think I gave them quite a bit of credit. Um, I I think they get it done against San Diego State, but not against UConn. So you have UConn over Florida Lake, which I actually completely agree with, although I would note... Uh, I've missed you, everything. You, 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 UConn did play a Jim Laranega coach team in a regional final. Uh, we kind of hinted about that George Mason team yeah. a while ago. And, yeah. uh, and that's yeah, not quite that go the way too. that Zach wanted. Uh, uh, but yeah. I was that too, so this is great. That's, I mean, I wanted to go anyway, but for me, oh, this, Chad, this is extremely personal for me. <laughs> uh, I assume you think UConn's going to win it all, but who are they going to be in the finals, Zach? I, I have, I, well, UConn is 8-0 at the Final Four when I don't go and 0-1 when I do and I'm going. So, uh, you know, I'm so, hoping. So, so, so you go, you're going Miami? No, uh, uh, in I don't have Miami, San Diego State, no. Um, <laughs> I, I agree. I think it's Florida Atlantic. I think offensively they're the better team, and I agree what Chad said is true. In recent years it's been about the offense, and I, I think Florida Atlantic is is a, is a better offensive team, and I, I th- they have an, I mean, Dusty's an incredible coach. Dutcher's a good coach, but like this isn't an accident that this has all happened. 
Uh, Dusty's an amazing coach. I think he gets him there. And it sets up a hysterical subplot, which is that last year, UConn's backup point guard, Jalen Gaffney, transferred to Florida Atlantic. And now UConn and Jalen Gaffney are in the final four. Uh, and Jalen's dad, like I've, I met him at the Big East tournament last year. Great guy. It's insane that this has happened. I'm thrilled for Jalen. I'm thrilled for his father. And if UConn faces him in a national title game, it's one of the funniest things UConn Twitter's ever seen. Um, <laughs> I think, I think it happens. And the thing is like Jalen went there and like UConn didn't have a point guard after he transferred, like the two freshmen who were star recruits transferred out. Then Jalen left and UConn had to go get Tristan Newton, who's a two guard playing point guard. And so it was fun at one funny when UConn struggled in January, people were starting to notice Florida Atlantic and they're like, well, Jalen's down there. They're in the top 25. Why do you get, and Jalen plays, I love him, but he plays like eight minutes a game. Like he hasn't been very good there either. Um, although it was notable in the East regional, who did Dusty put on the floor to get them over the line with five minutes to go in that high pressure spot in the garden? It was Jalen Gaffney in the game. Okay, this has been more Jalen Gaffney <laughs> Gaffney discussion in this so podcast already <laughs> than this been all season. So I think, uh, I think it's UConn over Florida Atlantic uh, in, in the title game, though. Just, uh, well, Rocco, your thoughts? Oh, we lost well, Rocco. We can't hear you, bud. We can't hear you, Rocco. I can talk more about Jalen. Yeah. Okay, Rocco, we try to get you back there in a second. Let me go to Sleeka while you try to get that. Is is he muted? Did you mute him, Chad? Did you turn him off? I think Saitel muted him from Vegas. Yeah. But as far as who wins here, I could easily see three uh, coaches trying to hit up Sean Miller during the meetings. Like, how on earth did you take a team that struggled to the NIT championship last year and ended up sweeping the Huskies and nearly breaking them during the year? Yes. But as it is, I think. San Diego State, probably good enough of a defensive team that they could probably advance to the title game. I just hope this is not as ugly as the uh, Butler-UConn game was in uh, 2011 that has been rated in some circles as the worst NCAA championship game ever. Disagree. but (laughs) Well, Uh, of course, beauty is always in the eye of the beholder, but I do think it's going to be UConn's fifth title against uh, San Diego State. So if everyone likes UConn so far, it's the only one that thinks it's going to be over San Diego State. Rocco, do we have you back? Yeah, I'm back. Can okay, you hear me? Okay, go. Yep. Yeah. Go okay. ahead. I think something just got unplugged. Yeah, so I think the FAU-San Diego State game is similar to the Tennessee matchup, uh, just from the standpoint of obviously Tennessee's gigantic, number one in the in the nation against the three, uh, top 15 across the board in almost every defensive t- statistic. Uh, San Diego State's now number two in the nation against the three, number four in the nation defensively. <sighs> Uh, but not not nearly as potent offensively, even though Tennessee doesn't have a great offense either. Um, I just think that matchup prepared the Owls to find a way to get over the hump. Again, I don't think it's a it's a it's a blowout by any means. I think it's going to be a heck of a battle. I think it should be called out that between the Aztecs and the Owls, they have six combined trophies now: regular season champions, tournament champions, and regional champions. Um, so those are. I mean, it's going to be a really good game. I think very strategic. But I agree. With, I like the point about Dusty being the better coach. I think that's that's clear. I think that's a mismatch. Um, on the other side, you know, I, I will pick UConn uh, just because they're so lights out right now. But, I mean, I, I think the sh- most shocking game of the tournament is Miami rolling Houston. Um, I still can't believe it that. It was. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I've been asked, like many of you, since the offseason, who's going to win the title. I've been saying Houston without stuttering it, all the way up until that that day because nobody was more afraid to play anybody 
in the country than Houston. Um, you know, even when Houston lost this year, they lost by one point to to uh, Temple in a game where guys were banged up or, or sick. And then they lost a game to Alabama, which they blew a 15-point lead. But nobody came close to rolling them. And Miami rolled them. Um, so, I mean, that blew my mind. And now I'm just kind of in a state of I don't know what's going to happen Miami-UConn because, like I said earlier, my biggest fear about UConn is if they do get in close games, they're not very – they haven't been very good. Right. Uh, they're 0-4 in games that are decided by five or less. They're obviously very good at suffocating teams and running away with games. Um, so if they do that, off to the races for UConn. So I will pick them to win, but I, I'm I'm just very uh, – I'm not trying to dismiss Miami at all. I think they've got amazing upside entering this thing. Um, and I will give – you know, I'm going to sound crazy here, but I am going to give the Owls the benefit of the doubt that they can keep a game close against UConn to the point where they'll find a way to win that thing late if they keep it close. National so. champions. <laughs> you call, you're, call, yep. you're calling it. I am and calling I really, it. Yeah. like, I wouldn't be humiliated or embarrassed by that. I respect all – I think these are four really, really good teams. And the Miami thing, to, to Rocco's point, so UConn played uh, Iona, not a good three-point shooting team. St. Mary's, not a good three-point shooting team. Arkansas, not a good three-point shooting team. <laughs> at They're all. They're not. They're not at Miami all. Is, Miami's an excellent three-point shooting team. So this is a different – and like Gonzaga was weird. Miami is a different kind of challenge that UConn has not had to face. So that is the, the main – for me, that's the main like focus I have for the Miami-UConn game is Miami's got – like UConn's got a couple of great – like Andre Jackson's a great defender, but there's only one of them which works against Iona and St. Mary's. It's going to be fascinating to see who they match him up with in terms of the Miami shooters defensively because they the Hurricanes can drill from long range. Yeah, okay. Um, now, yeah. it's interesting, though, about about Florida Atlantic as well. It's good to take a quick look at the other two tournaments uh, that, that are out there because they being a Conference USA team. So, first of all, congratulations to Charlotte. Another Conference USA team cut down the nets as our CBI champions this year. Uh, on top of that, Tomorrow night is the NIT semifinals. Two more CUSA teams here. The, the only conference with with, with with four teams left. Well, look, there's more than one team left still playing. Uh, North Texas playing Wisconsin. UAB playing Utah Valley. Uh, and and Zach, back during championship week, the Commissioner of the American came out and said that his conference was it was a power was a power conference. We are in a spot right now where three CUSA teams could win all three postseason tournaments. And come July 1st, all four of these teams, along with Rice and Texas San Antonio, are all going to the American, proving that the American really is a power conference. Am I right? <laughs> it was a long play all along. Mike Oresco was ahead of us all. I have to give the devil his due. This was all part of the master plan. I will say this. If this happens between now and July 1st, it is, it is a legal obligation that the trademark for the term Conference of Champions has to be transferred to Conference USA. And then to America on July, on July 2nd, correct? Yeah. They will have. But most they, importantly, does the uh, curtain transfer from Conference USA to the American now? Uh, well, once, UCLA, once UCLA leaves, we're going to lose a lot of championships out in the pack anyway. So, right, and it's it's a testament to like they're all leaving as you as you've alluded to. But what a what a job they've done rebuilding like that league in general, like North, North Texas. Really good. I, I'm trying to find a, a port in the storm here for Conference USA because uh, everyone's out the door. Uh, the credits stay. So Conference USA will be mon- 
monetarily compensated on top of exit fees, but uh, an incredible year for that league, a league that's really been forgotten about because of all of realignment in the last 10 years. Just uh, an incredible job by Dusty, great job by Charlotte, but, uh, you know, UAB in North Texas, also all, amazing job and what, it, you know, what it means for them to be in the NIT Final Four. It's, it's a shame for them that they, they don't also get to go to Madison Square Garden because if we had had, if we had, had an East Regional Champion followed by an NIT Champion, I'm pretty sure the Big East would have had to move the tournament next year to Bartow Arena while the Conference yeah. USA Tournament brought the curtain to the world's most famous arena. It would have been the only thing allowed. <laughs> to Bartow Arena? The taking their tournament to Birmingham. Conference USA was playing in free. Conference USA gets MSG. They get yeah. it. They, they get it. That's fair. Uh, all right. Let's go on any other final thoughts about anything we've seen up, up so far coming up this week here. Uh, Sleek, let me start with you. Well, a couple things. Number one, for all the star power we had mentioned tonight, you're going to be hard-pressed to mention Caitlin Clark for Iowa. She hits a triple-double with 41 points. Nobody, men or women, had been able to accomplish that as the Hawkeyes make their second Final Four the first time since 93 when Vivian Stringer was coaching there. But number two, we also talk about some of the Cinderella teams that have made the uh, NCAA Final Four. Don't forget three other teams that have made it in the 70s that at least had a little bit of star power. We talk about Larry Bird in Indiana State. There was also Artis Gilmore in Jacksonville back in 1970 and 1977. Speaking of then, UNC Charlotte. Don't forget Cornbread Maxwell. Okay. Uh, Rocco. Glad you brought up the strength of Conference USA. I mean, it's uh, it, it just – kind of reiterates a lot of our frustrating points that we make throughout the year on the bracket rundown or mostly on UTR to be honest just because um, you know the majority of power six schools would much rather play teams rank 300 plus in the net and and or extend their conference um, uh, games up to 20 games a year or to 22 games a year who knows in the future how high that's going to go it really just limits or boxes out any opportunity for the next tier of leagues uh, that would we would love to see a matchup with the power six um, unless they start playing teams like from the mountain West and the WCC, et cetera. Uh, they, if they don't find ways to play each other, you know, they end up at the end of the year with maybe one quad one game outside of conference USA, or maybe, maybe two quad one games. Um, and that's a big problem with the selection process, because how do you quantify, a, you know, a big 12 team that gets 20 chances in quad one against a team like North Texas, who gets one or two. Um, there's really just no way to compare that category. Uh, so they either got to de-emphasize the quad records a little bit or um, figure out a, a better scheduling model, which obviously I'm passionate about. Um, ob obviously, it's, it's built to, to make it very, very difficult for a league like Conference USA to get more than one team in. Um, it's, it's very unfortunate because I think regardless of, uh, you know, North Texas and UAB being in a NIT tournament where maybe some of the teams aren't as motivated. Um, they are winning road games at places that are uh, big time power six schools. I know that North Texas won at Oklahoma state with a right to go to Vegas. Um, UAB won at Vandy and other places. So not easy places to win. And, and they're very good teams. I mean, we, we all know that. So, uh, if, yeah, without expanding the field, if we had some other criteria that would make it a little more fair for these teams to have chances at at large, I'd love to hear. Yeah, hear unfor some unfortunately, I think the answer is going to be expanding the field, and I don't, I don't want to see that either. But it's, yeah. uh, if I'm hearing more and more talk that way. But Zach, your thoughts? 
Yeah, I mean, it would be a. Ch- I've. It says on Twitter the only the only vo- the only value in expanding the field is to see if Matt Painter can lose to a 19 seed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he will. He will. Yeah. He will. No. <laughs> or, or or Tony Bennett. We just thought if we could impose our pace on Ryder, we thought we would get there. Um, no, my th- closing thoughts are: I think this Final Four is kind of a, a a a good symbol of where we are, where the sport is today, in terms of with things like NIL, with the transfer portal, you can you can cobble a team together. Like there's there's fewer restrictions in one sense. There's more of a path to success in a lot of like mid-major schools. But at the same time, you know, the, the immediate fear, of course, with Florida Atlantic and Dusty talked about this, his whole team's getting recruited into the portal now. You know, I would really like to see that. I think because of the way the portal is set up now, I think it actually is, is much harder for someone like Dusty May who makes this deep of a run to get another job until the following year. Because so much is built around the portal, and if you can't get a coach in before the portal, they're going to be behind. So teams want to hire coaches now. Well, Dusty's busy. He's at the Final Four. So in a way, it's great for Florida Atlantic because they're going to go to the American. They're going to have uh, almost certainly Dusty will be their coach at least next year. They'll work out a lower buyout. So uh, my closing thought is I hope that this this can be like a springboard for Florida Atlantic going into the American and with Dusty. And also that – you know, a lot of schools kind of in the middle tiers of leagues like the American or the Missouri Valley Conference can continue to believe that they can, you know, through the portal, not just look at it as, oh, no, that's a way our good player can go somewhere else. It's a chance for them to go get good players from a place like Texas Tech or a place like UConn or, uh, you know, a place like Michigan State or Michigan, for example. It's it's a two-way street. And there's lots of really talented players languishing on the ends of benches in the Big Ten who, if they ever want to see an important game in this tournament ever in their career, have got to go somewhere else, apparently. Yeah, now, to um, your point, I think we had also heard about uh, Notre Dame being a possible landing place for Dusty May, but they ended up hiring Micah Shrewsbury out of Penn State. Yeah. Um... Greg, do you want to finish this off? Yeah, uh, those are all really good final thoughts. I, I'm going to piggyback off of a little bit off of the, of what Rocco said about scheduling. Um, well, I'll start by saying that one of the things that's so great about the NCAA tournament is how many people out there are, they may not be college basketball fans, but they're huge NCAA tournament fans. And I think one of the reasons, aside from the bracket and the excitement, is the matchups that the tournament provides granted the stakes are also a big part of it, but you get to see a lot of matchups during the tournament that you might not get to see during the regular season, which again gets to Rocco's point. One of the cliches of college sports and college basketball in particular is proponents of it and fans of it say it's all about the game. I disagree. I I think college athletics and college basketball in particular is less about the game than any sport in the world. Uh, The reason you don't see Houston and Texas play or the reason you see realignment or the reason you see Conference USA getting shut out has nothing to do with the game. If it were about the game, those things wouldn't be happening. And it's kind of infuriating. Nowhere else in the world, uh, Zach is a big soccer guy. I'm kind of a soccer guy. The big clubs and the big national teams in Europe can't avoid teams they want to play just by just by avoiding them. Like you have to go on the road to all those places in college basketball. If you don't want to play somebody, you don't have to nowhere else in the world. Does that happen? No other sport in the world. Does that happen? No other sport would that be accepted, much less applauded. 
the way that it is, and we're going to get into in the offseason, Rocco doesn't know it yet, but we're going to have a show about him and about scheduling and about what he does, and we're going to touch on this a little bit more, but... Sounds fun. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, I thought you meant you meant a show about how to be at fifteen games simultaneously, but well, that too. <laughs> but scheduling is a problem. The tournament does not need to be expanded. The opportunities for teams that are not in the power conferences needs to be expanded. That's my thought. I agree completely. Um, <laughs> but I guess on that note, uh, do I thank everyone for joining us? We'll be back next week on Tuesday night with a wrap up of the entire season. But for now. On behalf of Rocco Miller from Bracketeer.org, Zach from the Simpsons couch there with that that, that picture <laughs> behind his head, uh, John Sleeka, David Griggs, uh, still in the puppet bunker, I think, down there. Um, yeah, it's still locked in. <laughs> I'm Chad Sherwood. Thanks for joining us. Talk to you again next week. <laughs>